Cavalcade of Tales is an adult podcast that contains adult language and adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Additional trigger warnings will be found in the episode descriptions. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to Cavalcade of Tales. I'm your host, Drew, the amateur folklorist who's worried that TikTok is ruining his life. Um, welcome to Season 2, everybody. Uh, we're changing it up a bit this year. Um, but first things first, uh, we gotta do our Patreon question. That's right, if you want to submit questions to be answered at the top of the show, you can join the Patreon at patreon.com slash cavalcadeoftales. This week's question comes from Elise, and her question is, what was it that got you so interested in these kind of tales? Do you remember the moment or story that got you hooked? So this was an interesting question to think about, because I grew up in a household where history was always a big thing, and we, and so like the storytelling of history and like was kind of the big thing that always happened. And, and on top of that, um, I grew up pagan, so we constantly learned the stories of the old gods because, you know, there are gods. So I can't really pinpoint when I started to learn about these, they've just kind of always been a part of my life. Um, it's just more of after going through college, I can now talk about them academically and intelligently instead of being like, oh my god, it's so cool when like someone like when Kukulin gets a spear and he like rams up a guy's ass because like fuck you to this guy. But um, I can't really figure out exactly like what the a story that got me hooked was. I guess if you were looking for why I like to blend cultures so much, I would blame the atlas properties of like Shin Megami Tensei, Devil Survivor, Persona, because they do a lot of mixing of various folklore traditions together, and I started playing those games when I was in middle school, so it was very formative to a young weeb as myself. Uh, and then the opus for this podcast was that I really wanted to talk about Carmilla, so <laughs> those would be, I guess, the best answers I have for those questions. Uh, thank you, Elise, for your questions and being a Patreon supporter. Again, if you want to uh, support the podcast, that is patreon.com slash cavalcade of tales. And that is the end of the shameless plug at the beginning of the episode. But yeah, welcome back, everyone. Uh, season two, we made it. Um, am I still mentally ill? Yes, but I'm working on it. Um, if people remember the first season, they'll know that I have a deep connection to the uh, Bayonetta franchise and also uh, will make episodes that sound intelligent so I could uh, voice a lot of opinions, and uh, that I'm no stranger to uh, Celtic uh, mythology, whether it be the entire episode of Cuchulain or the various other ones that were peppered in, like the uh, story of Dietermund in the uh, Tragic Lovers tales. So this week's episode is about, uh, well, the opus is, is that I played Bayonetta Origins, Cereza and the Lost Demon. I played it late. It was the last game I beat of 2023, and I loved it. It was so good. It was a wonderful puzzle platformer. It had it was just filled with like Celtic fairy lore. It sprinkled in some Arthuriana. One of the enemies was the Jabberwock, so you had some Lewis Carroll in there. You know, just because the man's a pedophile didn't mean he didn't know how to write a fantastic story. That's where you got to practice death of the author because Lewis Carroll was a pedophile, and if you don't know, look it up. So, I decided, well, I just fought and survived through a bunch of Celtic fairy traditions, and I have, well, I had this big book of, you know, Celtic fairy tales on my uh, bookcase, which apparently was uh, shit when I found out during this uh, 
which was a bit sad. What I did is I took a bunch of the various uh, Celtic fairies from Cereza and the Lost Demon and uh, added, sprinkled in a few from other franchises, such as some of the ones that show up in the um, Shimagami Tensei games, uh, and the three fairy knights from uh, Fate Grand Order. So this is going to be a big episode of, like, fairies, so that when you see them pop up in various fairy uh, video games or other franchises, for example, um, part of the reason TikTok is ruining my life is because I'm part of Book Talk, and I kept seeing everyone talk about a court of thorn and roses so here i am twenty dollars less later i bought the book and apparently the fairy king that the woman is uh with is name is tamlin which i will bring up later uh tamlin also i promised i'd have to explain what a tamlin was because that is a patreon tier uh shout out to elise one of our tamlin patrons right. sorry i had to put the book under the table so, that's what today is, is we're going to go over a whole bunch of different Celtic fairy tales from various video games. So, a little background uh, real quick. I'm not going to spoil the plot of Cereza and the Lost Demon because I highly recommend it as a game. If you like puzzle platformers, you should definitely play it. Uh, you are going to need a smidge of coordinate, hand-eye coordination because you do have to use both uh, joysticks to move characters and you can't control the camera too well, but it's a beautiful game it's super fun the whole thing's set up like a fairy tale book and like it's oh it's so fun and i loved it so much it's like if you ever played that game on the ps4 the lost guardian done by the people who did shadow of the colossus and you're just like i really like this concept of a young child traveling with a big animal you have to control it's like that if the animal didn't suck ass it's so good um but the basic premise of the thing is that uh cereza is a witch in training uh, who will eventually grow up to be bayonetta and what she is doing is, against her master's wishes, she sneaks into Avalon Forest, where the fairies play, because she had a dream of a young boy who said if he, she can get to the center of the forest and free him, he will give her the power needed to save her mother. Uh, and then chaos ensues, and then, so the main thing I'm going to be spoiling about this game are the different enemy types. I did not do all the enemy types, because some of them either didn't have like good parallels or like there was very little i could find about them so i tried to pick a bunch of the big ones and that's why there's going to be some peppering in of other ones but that's our base story is that these are some of the enemies that cereza had to survive against in the game for this first section so the first the most base enemy is the asc these are your little generic enemies that you fight up against uh in the game uh, one of the ways that the enemies are kind of set up is it's set up like a chess board. So each like type of enemy has a classification that shows like how high on the fairy hierarchy they are. Uh, the AOC are pawns. And uh, however, in actual Celtic myth, uh, they are a race of supernatural beings uh, who are descended from the Tuatha de Danann, or the people of the goddess Danu. Uh, this will come up a bit off and on. The Tuatha de Danann are essentially like the progenitor deities of Celtic myth before Christianity came in. Uh, some could argue could fuck it all up, but I'm not here to alienate my Christian listeners. Um, so, the Aesif, after being driven to the other world by the Iberian forces of Mil Hispania, 
they inhabit fairy forts, other underground enclosures, and like fairy mounds. They're not named directly because they're it's sort of the ASB are a essentially like a bigger overarching group. Uh, but they're also known as the Fair Folk or the Good Neighbors. Their name directly translates to People of the Mount. Although they can come in uh, various different forms, and I'll cover a few of them as we go, they're most depicted as humanoids, and the humans are either incredibly beautiful or, like, incredibly hideous and, like, haggardly. Um, they're extremely fierce guardians of their territory, however, causing retaliative measures to anyone who trespasses, even going as far as to uh, kidnap the children of trespassers, replacing them with changelings. Uh, there's a lot of different changeling stories in, um, like, Celtic fairy myth, where there's also just a lot of, like, changelings in fairy myth in general, where it'll be like, the fae will steal your pretty children and then swap them for a changeling. And you don't want a changeling baby, because they are very temperamental, very horrible, and then just it's it's a bad time you know, like one of the stories i saw was like this uh blacksmith who i think his name was like angus F strongarm his son was very fair and like sickly because his mother died in childbirth and that affected his birth and everyone's like you gotta watch that boy it's he's gonna be taken by the fairies but they lived happily and then uh to be safe the father hung protective branches on the son's door frame when he went to bed however the father went on a trip and the boy forgot to hang his branches even though his father told him to and the child was stolen by the bag so then angus came and he's like what the hell's wrong with my boy he's just lethargic laying in bed and he doesn't seem like he used to be so his uh he went to the priest and the priest is like your boy's changeling uh, shit's fucked uh what you need to do is you need to light a fire in your hearth and then when your son asks what you're doing, you don't answer him and then throw him into the fire. He, as a changeling, he'll turn to smoke and float away. Um, which is also a bit fucked up, because if his son was just, like, sick, that meant he was literally going to just toss his son into the fire, and it'd be, like, real fucking bad. But we know it's fine, because Angus is the hero of this story. <laughs> so Angus goes, and he does what he says, and finds out his son is a changeling. So he goes back, he talks to the priest again, he's like, what the fuck am I going to do? I need to go get my son back. He's like, okay, well, you're going to have to wait till twilight, because that's when the barrier between the living and the dead worlds are the thinnest. You're going to need a sword, a Bible, and a rooster. And he's just, like, weirdly specific, but okay. So what he does is he has to stab the sword into the opening of the fairy mound, because uh, fairies cannot touch human-forged steel. And then once he gets inside, he sees that the fairies are having his son also be a blacksmith and have taught him how to inscribe fairy runes into swords to make magical weaponry. So then Angus holds up his Bible and he's like, give me back my son, the power of God compels you, because this is post-Christianity story. And the fairies are like, no, Jesus, ah, oh, shit. And they're just like, you can't have your kid, though. So they like, start circling around him and trying to, using fairy magic to put him to sleep, to which he drops the rooster, and the rooster wakes up and crows. The crowing of the rooster scares the fairies off because if dawn approaches and they're still not within their realm, they turn to stone. Uh, like the trolls in Tolkien. So then the man runs, he grabs his son and he runs out and the fairies are just like, you know what? Fuck your son, fuck you. He's cursed now. And he will not utter a word until the curse is broken. So, uh, his father brings him home and they're happy and much. there's much rejoicing. 
And then the father's like, honestly, having like a mute child is great. He never complains about anything I ever fucking do. So then he just, they continue their blacksmith and work. And then one day, the child, they get commissioned to have a sword by the chieftain of the tribe. And the boy just like turns pale and then just goes into a fury and crafts this beautiful fairy sword for the king. A sword that is so powerful and inscribed with fairy magic that the, the, its wielder cannot be defeated in combat. And that is what releases him from the fairy's curse, is that he was cursed with fairy magic until he imbibed a sword with the techniques he learned in the fairy realm. And then the leader went and killed many of his enemies, and the blacksmith and the farmer lived happily ever after. Oh, I said, oh, I didn't write that story down, so I'm not going to tell it, and then proceeded to fucking tell it. All right. Uh, anyway, back, back to story then. Next, we have the bogey. So this is interesting because this um, is also a sort of like semi-wide term. But the bogies are a being. They come from the Middle English word boga, meaning frightening spectral. And as uh, we know them more as the boogeyman. And they became really cemented as the boogeyman around the 15th century. Uh, a more general term for bogey is a mythical creature used by parental figures to frighten children into good behavior. Uh, since this one is very generic, uh, what I did is uh, I went through the Wikipedia page and took all my favorite ones from the uh, batches they had from around the world. Uh, specifically, I wanted to stay mostly in the British Isles because one of the uh, beautiful things, I, the many, many beautiful things about Ceres and the Lost Demon is it's very Gaelic. All the fairy names are spelled in their Gaelic tradition. The theme song is Gaelic, and it's so fucking pretty. And since Cereza grows up in England, in like England, Ireland, it's so I tried to stick mainly with like the Great Britain. So it's like mainly English, Irish, and Scottish, a little bit of Welsh, um, fairy traditions I went in. But here's some random fucking uh, Irish boogeymen, or and English. So we've got Aud Gogi. Uh, it's a creature who would eat children who stole from orchards in East Yorkshire. We have the Gooseberry Wife was a large caterpillar that protected gooseberry bushes on the Isle of Wight. So there are multiple like aquatic boogeymen, the Grindylo, Jenny Greenteeth, and Nellie Longarms. And they're all beings who would like snatch children and drown them. And it's kind of like a way to teach your children not to get too close to the water or they could fall in and drown. Uh, just kind of like, yeah, snatch them into the ocean. Uh, churn milk peg and Melsh Dick are a pair of goblins who protect nut thickets until they're ready to be harvested in West Warkshire, and they uh, tend to do it with uh, shenanigans, all while smoking a pipe. There's also a nursery bogey called Anchor Bogus, who drags children into deep, dark pits where they're never seen again. I don't know, I thought they were kind of funny, so there's a bunch of bogeys for you. The next one is a puka. This one, is, um, I can't go into too much detail about their rank because that will give away spoilers for the like basic plot beats of Soraya and the Lost Demon. Uh, so, but there is a puka, and pukas are shapeshifters who act as both helps or hindrances, with either white or black hair or fur. But in human form, they maintain some animal attributes, including uh, sometimes having either animal ears or continuing to have a tail. Um, fairy mythologist. Um, Quick tangent. 
I wasted my entire college career and life up till now because I did not realize that I could be a fairy mythologist, and uh, I want that job now. I would fucking fairy mythologist. Such a good job. The fairy mythologist Thomas Knightley, or Kylie. Kitely? Thomas Kitely, that's an E, not an N. I can't even read my own handwriting. I'm, I'm so sorry, fairy mythologist. I coveted your job and then fucked up your last name. Thomas Kiley reference traditions from Killamy, Ireland that were, that pukas were numerous and inhabited overripe blackberries, so children were advised not to eat them. And it was kind of a also another way to teach your children, like, if that berry's too ripe, you're going to get sick. Or, if that berry's too ripe, you give it to mom and dad so they can press it into wine, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, so one of the mischievous things that puka mess with humans is transport into black mares. And once the human tries to tame the horse and ride it, they just run around like a fucking bat out of hell doing just donuts and fucking everything they can not losing the human just giving them the most terrifying ride of their life and then just leaving them dizzy back where they found them and late to their granger uh the irish believe that the best way to uh deal with it is if you were about to get onto a black horse because traditionally when puka transform into horses they are jet black uh you have to wear spurs so that you could like help guide the horse and they're called and they don't love sharp metal there's also an irish belief that a quote old steel could repel the supernatural uh but they also they didn't always hurt so for example there's a tale about a puka and what it was is a farmer's son named padrick runs into an invisible puka and instead of being like oh shit there's a fairy here everything's gonna be fucked he's like uh it's kind of cold out here because it's you know ireland uh here's a coat and the puka then turns into a bull and says, thank you, meet me in the mill at night. So then the boy meets him, and then at night, that night on, the puka would mill the corn into flour for the boy, kind of alleviating some of the hard work the boy and his father had to do. Because, like, grinding grain, not fucking fun. Uh, the boy, thanking Padig, no, Padrig is the boy, whoops. So the Padraig is like, the puka has done a lot of good for us. There's a lot of prosperity. The farmer is like, we got to do something nice for this fairy because he's doing something nice for us. So Padraig makes the puka a silk suit. And the fairy, the puka's like, thank you very much. I'm going to go see the world. And Padraig's like, you do that. Thank you for making us so much uh, flour that my father can retire and I can go get an education. So the story ends with Padraig's wedding and where a mysterious guest arrives and leaves a golden goblet filled with a drink that ensures a happy life between the couple, and it is revealed to be that same puka he helped many years ago. And that is some adorable-ass shit. And you gotta be careful with fairies, because, like, a lot of times it's, like, you don't make deals with the fairies. Um, a lot of some of this, like, more uh, post-Christianity takeover of ireland and other gaelic countries is where you get a lot of that like you can't trust a fairy or this fairy's gonna fuck with you they're gonna pull you from the light of jesus but no like you don't want to fuck with a fairy but like you they can they're not all bad like you can if the fairies are on your side that's a good thing to have so our next one is not only a character in sreza and the lost demon but is also a character in fate grand order the mobile app that I play too much and have given far too much of my money to. Um, I can't spoil too much of the story 
for this character in Fate Grand Order, because I also haven't actually gotten to the story segment that she's in. But uh, this is the uh, real name of the Tam Lin Gawain character. Uh, in the world of Fate Grand Order, there's a thing called the Lost Belt, which is like a way that history could have developed that didn't, so it was destroyed due to the theoretical pruning phenomena. And in this one, it is a fairy-controlled Britain, uh, ruled by Morgan Le Fay. And so she has three knights who are of fairy descent, and they are, are called Tam Lin, and then they're named after one of um, King Arthur's original knights, but they aren't actually that knight. So this first one, who is Tam Lin Gawain, is actually the fairy Bargist. So Bargists are a northern English folkloric beasts that are large black dogs with massive teeth and claws. You can kind of figure this similarly to um, those who traditions or things where like a big black dog is a sign of death. You have like Anubis in Egypt. Uh, you have this is probably the inspiration for the troubling figure of the black dog in the third Harry Potter book um, and things like that. Uh, like the vampire, bar guests in some traditions cannot cross running water. Is a fun little factoid. There's a story called The Legend of Troller's Gill, which was in the Everyday Book by William Henn. It's come out around 1830, and it tells the story of a man who wants to, quote, uh, fight the horrid gill of Lonesome Hill. And what he's going to do is he's going to summon and fight the Bargus so that he can tame it and use its fairy power for his own in a sort of, like, ritual. However, his corpse was found later with massive claw marks across his chest, so uh, he did not win. Uh, they are also a portent of death. Uh, sometimes the Bargus would uh, rest itself on the uh, stoop of a prominent uh, family if they were going to have a death in the household. Or they would leave a funeral procession of local dogs barking and howling. If a person tries to stop the procession, the Bargus would strike them with their large claws, which would leave wounds that would never truly heal. It, you know, because you don't want to fuck with the fairy death procession. That's rude. Just let them mourn, you bastards. So the next one is called the Morok, which it can also be called the Marrow. This is an Irish folkloric mermaid who uses a magical cap called the Colin Druff in order to transform between uh, her water form and her land form, similar to like selkies and their seal pelts. Uh, unlike, uh, sorry, not unlike, like the traditional mermaid, the Maruk is half beautiful woman from the waist up and fish-like from the waist down. Her scales and hair are all green, and she has a thin membrane between her fingers to assist with swimming. Uh, they often intermarry with humans. Children of the Muruk often have scales on some parts of their bodies or webbed fingers. Muruk is naturally drawn to the water, however. So oftentimes there's a sort of moral quandary with a human whether to let their wife return to the sea, which is what they love, or they'll hide the colon roof so that they can never return to the sea and have to force their them to continue to stay on land, often unhappily and potentially leading to uh, their death. So the Moroks are usually female, but there's a less common version of the male ones. Uh, it's a bit weird because Morok literally means sea maiden. 
However, they don't. There's no like real helpful or like direct translation in Gaelic to merman or so. Um, there is a tale of the male Morok, but it's kind of an adaptation of a Germanic folklore. So, his name is Kumer. He's an ugly beast with green teeth, pig-like eyes, a red nose, stubby arms and legs, and a buff fish tail between his legs. And I'm not talking about a front tail, I'm talking about like an actual tail. I don't think he has a dick. Uh, this, uh however kind of like was the turning point and since this adaptation spoke about how this male Moroc looked uh, they just sort of all turned male Morocs into hideous disgusting beasts and there was just like oh yeah and the noses are red because they're obsessed with brandy and they're so hideous that's why women have to leave and they have to go mate with men on land uh, in the tale, the Kumara also captured the souls of drowned sailors and locked them in lobster cages, never to see the light of day. So, you'd rather find a female one than a male one. The next fairy is known as the Genkana. Uh, these fairies are tri primarily male. Later on, I have a female kind of, which could kind of be the female counterpart of it, but it's not from Soraya's and the Lost Demon, it's from the Megaton franchise. The Gankana are male fairies from Northern Ireland known for their seduction of women. In 1825, the Dublin and London magazine published a few short stories of Gankana, saying that they were mischievous fairy subordinates of Captain Dreerg, or the Red Captain. For example, one subordinate absconds with a woman and, her, and so her lover has to track her down on All Hallows' Eve, when the at a crossroads because you want to have a time when the veil between our world and the other world is extremely thin and a crossroads which is extremely auspicious and so he's just like i'm gonna kill you motherfucker and he attempts to strike down the Genkana. however hit the a woman being seduced by the fairy uh, jumps between them and she is instead killed leaving the uh man grieving at the crossroads and the fairy just kind of fucks off because he's like I, I can get another woman somewhere else real fuckboy fairies are the Ginkana. there is also uh, a tale done by Ethna Carberry who is an Irish poet and she characterized the Ginkana as a sort of incubus like figure having dark eyes being able to cast no shadow and is accompanied by a light mist he seduces maidens, leaving them to waste away and then die, because once you know, once he's been with them, they're just so infatuated and in love with him, like no one else can compare to this one night with this mysterious dark stranger. Um, and so they just kind of waste away, waiting for him to come back to them. Uh, but he can be repelled with the sign of the cross, because uh, Christian Christianity can't let anybody have anything bad. So... The next one is not a person, but it's a location. So one of the mechanics in Bayonetta games as a whole is there's usually a place you can go, and there a it's a realm to like it's like mini realms where you can do like little bonus challenges. Uh, like for example, in Bayonetta two, uh, they were called Muspelheims. And you would go in and you would do, like, defeat all the enemies in a certain amount of time, or you could only damage enemies during witch time, and, like, shit like that. 
So in this game, those sections are weaved in more to the story, and they're called Tirnanog, uh, which is the uh, Celtic otherworld uh, known as the Land of the Young. And so throughout the game, you have to go through various Tirnanogs in order to fix everything, and because the fairies are using them for nefarious purposes. Um, so the Tirnanog is home to the Tuatha Dé Danann, the Irish gods before Christianity, and it is an island paradise known as a realm of supernatural youth, beauty, health, abundance, and joy. The leader of this land is the god Mananan Maclir, who was said to be the first ancestor of the human race, but is now a warrior god of the dead. Uh, various Irish heroes have to travel to this land. You've got um, a bunch of Cormacs, some Anguses, and they travel either by going through ancient burial sites, journeying through the mist, or the traveling for three days in an enchanted boat on the sea. This boat uses a path known as Magnell, or Magmel, which is the plain of honey, which is a path made entirely of sun reflecting off the ocean. I just thought it was neat as hell, so I wanted to include the Tirndanog as, because like, Everybody knows, like, the Fey realm or the fairy realm. Like, this one is, like, the the definitive other world. So, one of the enemies, again, is actually a form of a group in folklore. So, we started with the Aesith, who are the descendants of the Tuatha Danann and the uh, fairy folk. Uh, then we have the Formarok, which are the dark counterparts to Tuatha Dé Danann, who are a supernatural race portrayed as hostile or monstrous beings. So you have your good gods, you have your monsters. You have your you have your Greek gods, you have your Titans. You got your you got your Oni and your fucking other gods, like stuff like that. It's your your dark to your light. So the Flamorock are very uh, big in the founding myth of Ireland. For example, uh, they are said to have lived on Ireland 200 years before the Great Flood under the rule of a Thomara called Kikol Grinkos. Grinkol, maybe. Later, the Tuatha Dé Danann defeated the Thomharai under the leadership of Fir Bolg in the first Battle of Magtared. Um, there is a second Battle of Magtared, but it got very technical and very like weird, so I, I only included this first one. But we have to have a fun, tragic story. The uh, leader of Ireland and like the deities after the first Battle of Magtared was a Brez who was half Formorai and half Tuatha Dé Danann from an affair between the Formoran Prince Ilatha and the Tuatha Dé Danann Erinu on a boat one fateful evening. So I thought that was kind of fun. Um, and uh, for fans of season one, there's even a Formhara a story for Cucullin. So there was a myth where they were terrorizing an area, claiming the firstborn of the king every seven years. So once Cucullin is finished with his training, he happens upon the young female sacrifice shortly after, and the maiden informs him that the sons of the Farmara Almarom Alhomram there's a lot of H's, I apologize. I'm probably butchering the Gaelic, I'm sorry. My ancestors are spitting on me in their graves. 
but the three sons, Dub, Mel, and Dubros, are coming on a ship to destroy her. When they arrive, the biggest one starts, you know, chuckling, and Kukulin's like, why is he laughing? And she's like, he thinks he's getting a bonus today because you're here with me. And he's like, I think the fuck not. So when they first reach for him, Kukulin cuts off his head and then proceeds to kill the other two former eye, be having that trio be the first kills of his time as a fully trained warrior. And that's some Kukulin right there. So that will be the last of our fairies from Cereza and the Lost Demon. Uh, our next two are going to be the other two Tamlin knights from Fate Grand Order. The first one, who is known as Tamlin uh, Tristan, is actually turned out to be the Babahan Seep. So these are female fairies from the Scottish Highlands who act similarly to like succubi and vampires who attempt to seduce men and then kill them. Uh, traditionally, they wear long green dresses to hide the fact that they have deer hooves. Um, and then they swoop in, seduce the men, and then drain them of their blood. There's a group of stories about how a group of hunters find shelter in a storm. And then the Babahad Sith try to come in and uh, make prey out of them. Usually one escapes, and that's how they know that this event had happened. Uh... Usually they come after once they start lamenting having female companionship. So like in one story they're all in a cave and the hunters are like, God, I miss my fucking wife. Um, so in most of the stories, a few women come by, usually the same amount as the amount of men, also seeking shelter. However, one of the men realized they have deer hooves and excuses himself being like, uh, I will be right back. I have to go take a piss. Then he fucking books it. Uh... What, the following morning, usually the man who either see, figures out that their Babahan Sith comes back to check on his friends and all of them are dead, having their throats slit, their chests ripped open, and their blood drained. Uh, the reoccurring motif that the Babahan Sith appears when men wish for female companionship is believed after a old Scottish belief that wishing for something at night without invoking the protection of God means that it would be fulfilled in the worst possible manner, similar to doing, like, a genie wish, which I think is interesting and also confusing. The last hat fairy from the Fate Grand Order series, this is the one who posed as Tamlin Lancelot. This is Melisune. So some listeners will remember uh, way back in Season 1, I did a three-part episode uh, called the Sadie Hawkins Monster Mash, where I talked about multiple female monsters from various things, uh, video games, yokai, uh, etc. And one of them was the Melisune, because she appears in Final Fantasy. So I went a little harder this time, so there will be some some stuff that's recurring, but there's also, like, this will be a more full story. So she's a half-baked being of European folklore who is uh, credited to also be an ancestor of the Limburg-Luxembourg dynasty, who ruled the Holy Roman Empire from 1308 to 1437. This is that kind of thing where, like, you always want to claim the divine right of kings, and, like, people were still doing it after Christianity was around, they just did it in weird ways. Or, like, for example, the Tudors, because they were a Welsh family, usually like to credit their descendant and lineage from King Arthur. In fact, Henry VIII's older brother was Arthur, who died of sickness and who was originally supposed to be king. 
but then he died of an illness, and uh, Henry came in and fucked everything up. But the main story of the Melisune begins that there's a king of Alba, who is an which Alba is an old name for Scotland, and like an old name for like the entire like British Isles is like Albion, which is also the place setting of the uh, game series Fable, which is uh, super fun, and I cannot wait for them to either remake or like re-release or do something with that franchise because Fable was fun as fuck. Anywho, so the king of Alba, Elnius, went hunting in the forest and he found the fairy princess Presini. He's like, holy shit, marry me, you hot-ass bitch I found in the forest. And she's just like, "You, can, I will marry you on the grounds that you cannot look at me when I am feeding or giving birth or bathing our children. And he's just like, okay. So she's like, can do. So they live, they have they get married, they fuck. She has triplets, Melisune, Melier, and Palatine. However, because fucking the king is either, sometimes he's suspicious that she's up to something, sometimes he's a dumb himbo and forgets his promise, sometimes his family is just like, hey, what's your wife doing? Like, are you gonna let your wife tell you what you can and can't do? Fellas, is it gay to listen to your wife? Like, shit like that. So he peeks, and she's just like, fuck you. I'm leaving, and she takes the children and returns to Avalon. On their 15th birthday, Melisune, who is the eldest of the triplets, asks their, about their father and learned of his transgression, breaking his promise to his mother. And her and her sisters plan a terrible plot, so they trap him and his riches inside a mountain. However, Pessany was in Pessany, not Pessany, was incredibly pissed, because she's like, he's still your father, you can't be doing this kind of shit. So she cursed Melisune to become half-serpent every Saturday. And then she's like, you're old enough, apparently, to start plotting against your father. You're old enough to be on your own. And she kicks her out. So the story goes forward, and Raymondin of Poitiers uh, found Melisune in the woods. And like her mother before her, he was immediately like, holy shit, you're hot. Let's get married. And she's like, we can get married. However, you cannot look into my room on Saturdays. You cannot deal, I will not talk to you or deal with you at all on Saturdays. And it's like, okay, Saturdays is boys' night, why the fuck not? So, he agreed, and she, and she was the best wife to him. She held building projects, she took care of finances, she bore him ten sons. However, his family's just like, why does your wife hide every Saturday? What's up with that? Get us some info. Ellis is a gay to listen to your wife and just do what she fucking asks. So he peeks at her while she's bathing and sees that she's half-serpent. However, not a deterrent to him. He's just like, you know what? She's the mother of my children. I love her. She's clearly got something going on. I found her in a forest. Like, obviously, something's up. So, like, we're... He kept it a secret, and he's like, I didn't see her. And it doesn't matter. That's my life, and I love her. However, a couple of his adult sons got into an argument, and one killed the other. And it was a big fucking to-do. And he's just like, this shit wouldn't have happened if your mom wasn't a fucking snake. And she's like, excuse me? And he's just like, yeah, I know your secret, that you turned half-serpent on Saturdays. And she's like, you broke your promise to me? Melisune, not someone to break promises to. So she turns into a dragon, tears the fucking place apart, gives him a magic ring, and is like, 
I'm coming back at night to feed our two infants. Once they are fed and they are old enough where they do not need my breast milk, you, I will never set foot in your lands again. I'm going to go live in that fucking swamp over there. And you better make sure that no one is sees me when I'm in here feeding your children or they will fucking die. And that's her story. <laughs> yeah. Keep your fucking promises and don't piss off the Fae, especially when they can turn into a goddamn dragon. Good advice. So the last two I have for you are both going to be from the uh, Shin Megami Tensei franchise, whether it be Persona, Devil Survivor, um, the Shin Megami games themselves. I'm trying to think what other games do I have. Uh, Strange Journey, I've never been looking through that. I'm trapped. I don't know what to do, but it's fine. So the first one is sort of our female counterpart to the earlier fairy. So this is the Lian Shi. This is a female fairy who is a like a sort of a denomination of the AOC who takes a male lover and then in exchange for them the lover's complete devotion to her, she gives them great inspiration. But there is a catch. So the name comes from a combo of the Gaelic word for like sweetheart or concubine, Lian, and uh, Seath, which is the term for those who live in fairy mounds. Um, she got a real resurgence uh, later on in the folklore tradition from W.B. Yeats, who reimagined her as a sort of emphasis, uh, vampiric figure, where her supernatural love and drive who will kill the artists, driving them to madness. The Gaelic poets die young, for she is restless and will not let them remain long on earth. This malignant phantom. And that is a quote from Fairy and Folk Tales of the Irish Peasantry from 1888. So yeah, her big, her big thing is she's just like, love me, you're going to be a great artist. And he's like, that's awesome. But then it runs into a tradition which I'm finding is a lot more common in like tales from the british isles of early on and it will come up again in a future episode of just like people who are so in love with the other people that it drives them mad and so usually what happens is that like every minute the poet lives without her it becomes agonizing and eventually they usually kill themselves or die in a horrible accident because they're just jonesing for that sweet lee and she um it's a bit bittersweet, and it's kind of the juxtaposition to the other, the male fairy. So that's why there traditionally aren't male Lian she's, is because there's already a male version. And then the last, not necessarily the best for last, but the one I promised that I saved for last, are Tamlins. So Tamlin is a popular fairy knight from the Scottish fairy tradition. It is actually a ballad. Uh, of Tamlin, and he, which the oldest recorded version we have is from 1549. Uh, so we're going to end this off with a fun little fairy tale for everybody. So the story begins with a warning that Tamlin will claim the virginity of any maiden who travels through Kerrhoff Forest. The protagonist, a young woman who's usually named either Janet or Margaret, but I like the name Margaret better, so she's going to be Margaret. Uh, enters the forest because she receives the lands that the forest has inhabited as a gift from her father. She comes in and plucks a double rose, and Tamlin appears and accuses her of trespassing and taking what is rightfully his. And she's like, fuck off, this forest was a gift from my pops. So she leaves. However, 
when she arrives home, she finds herself pregnant. And everyone's like, girl, how'd you get pregnant? Who'd you fuck? And she's just like, I didn't fuck anyone. And it's like, well, you, clearly you fucking did, because you're not the new Mary. And she's just like, he's a... I will not forsake the father, because I think he might be a fairy. And they're just like, ooh, girl, you don't want to have a changeling. Ugh, that's going to do terrible things with stretch marks and claws. Like, you don't want a changeling. Here's what you got to do. You just got camera four. Inside the forest is an herb. And if you brew that herb into a tea it will induce an abortion. Or, as they would say back then, it will speed up menstruation. So she's just like, well, I kind of don't want to get rid of it, but I also don't know who the father really is, so I and like the shame of having a child out of wedlock might not be great. So she goes to the forest and searching for the herb, and Tamlin's like, hey, what you doing? And she's like, the fuck are you doing? Why am I pregnant? And he's like, oh, you're pregnant. Oh. Usually I just, you know, psychic fuck the virginity out of women and then they just never come back. I didn't realize some of them might get pregnant. And she's like, yeah, asshole. I'm pregnant. There is a thing inside of me. Are you even human? And he's like, I was once human. I am the former grandson of the Earl of Murray. There are some other fairy one traditions. He's usually the grandson of like an earl or a nobleman. And he's like, I am, however, trapped, and it was turned into a fairy knight for the uh, fairy king Oberon. I was a gift from his wife. She caught me after I fell off a horse, and for saving my life, she turned me into a fairy knight and gave me to her husband. And she's just like, okay, how am I going to deal with a child if you're a fairy knight? And, like, do fairy knights get wages? Are you going to pay child support? And he's like, no, I want to raise a child. Being a dad might be cool. But we're going to have to do a huge elaborate scheme if we're going to trick fairies. And she's like, yes, sure, why the fuck not? And he's like, okay, here's the plan. Every seventh year on Halloween, the veil is at its thinnest, and the king and queen make a tithe to the demons of hell by sacrificing one of their knights. This, it just so happens to be that year. I will be leading the procession to give away the sacrifice, which means I will be on a splendid white stag. What you need to do is you need to come and rip me off the stag, catching me, therefore saving my life, and my life is now yours and no longer the fair, and you have the choice to do with, with me. And she's just like, okay. He's like, however, you cannot drop me, because if you take me off my horse and then proceed to drop me, that's not gonna work possessions nine tenths of the law and the fairy queen gets to keep me and she'll probably kill you and she's like that's not good and he's like so what's gonna probably happen is the fairies are gonna probably gonna do some magic and turn me into a bunch of shape-shifting beasts like lions and tigers and bears and shit and she's like um how am i supposed to hold on to a fucking bear and he's like don't worry it's mainly an illusion and because i will still be in charge of the body i will not harm you and she's like, okay. He's like, however, once they realize all the animal forms don't work, they'll probably turn me into a scalding hot coal. And she's like, okay. He's like, that's where this handy well comes in. You're going to throw me into the well when I become a scalding hot coal, and when I touch the water, I will turn back into a mortal man. It doesn't make any sense to me either, but it's fairy logic, so fucking go with it. And she's like, okay... So I'm just going to have you come back as a nude man. And she's like, yes. She's like, 
well, I'm not raising this kid by myself, so let's get this shit done. So Halloween comes around. She begins, she goes to the plan. She drags him off the horse. The fairies are like, the fuck are you doing? And she's like, I am taking my baby daddy. And they're just like, I think the fuck not. Boom, lion. Boom, tiger. Boom, bear. Boom, rattlesnake. Boom, chupacabra. Boom, hot coal. She's like, hot coal, that's the one. Tosses him into the thing and covers it with a blanket so that they don't know he's down there as a nude man. And also because like, let's have a little fun surprise. She doesn't know what he's going to look like as a nude man. And frankly, she probably should ask what he looked like before all this. But, you know, fucking it's like those bachelorette things where it's like, same dick forever. But I don't know, I guess she loves him or whatever. And the fairy queen comes up and she's like, who the fuck do you think you are? Bring me him. He may live, I may not have control over him, but I am so angry that he is gone. I'm going to poke out his eyes so he can never see anybody he loves. And she's like, I think the fuck not. Why would I give him to you when you just looked me in the eyes and said, hi, give me the father of your child so I can poke out his eyes? No, fuck you. This is my forest. Your jurisdiction isn't here. And the fairy queen's like, my jurisdiction isn't here. And she's like, yeah, your jurisdiction is not here. Is this a Tirnanog? I don't think so. This is the forest. I own the land. Your jurisdiction. You're not my queen. Hashtag not my queen. No, you can't have my you can't have my man. You're going to have to figure out something else. The fairy queen, extremely pissed, acquiesces, and she's like, fine, you win this round. Good luck. He's a bit of a fucking tosser. And then they, you know, sacrifice the fairy knight to hell, and then they leave. And then Tamlin takes, comes home with his wife, and they raise a child, and, you know, nothing else really happens. Nobody cares. It's one of those stories that once he's saved, everybody's like, all right, he's mortal again. Who gives a fuck? This is supposed to be a fairy tale. But that's the story of Tam Lin. We'll do it for this week's episode. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed this uh, fun romp through the Celtic fairy traditions. Um, as a sneak peek, the next episode will be up in two weeks. Uh, if you want to get the episodes early, you can join the Patreon at patreon.com slash Cavalcade of Tales, where you get the episodes on Monday instead of Friday. Uh, our next week, uh, in two weeks, our episode will be... Uh, a bit more historically based we're going to flex that degree we have that we never use and still are paying for but i uh, hope you guys like the uh, world of history for next week's episode or two weeks it's in two weeks uh thank you all for listening as always uh you can uh find me on uh, instagram or tiktok as white trash historian uh i'm also on goodreads but i can't remember what my name is on there uh, i will update that later uh, if you like the podcast, please uh, share it with your friends, uh, subscribe, uh, leave reviews on iTunes, and uh, tell a friend, yeah. But uh, thank you all for listening, and I'll see you all in two weeks. Blessed be!